Hello, Lewis fans, and welcome to the Mirror C.S. Lewis podcast. My name is Thornton. And my name is Andrew, and we're two brothers who enjoy C.S. Lewis and want to take themselves and others on a journey through his writings. So everyone, we have a very special episode today, where one I've been looking forward to for quite a while. We have Nicole Stratton and Justin Swain joining us, and they are two of the key adapters of The Horse and His Boy for the stage. And they're bringing their production up to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., January 20th, 2023 to March 4th. And so we asked them to join us on here to talk about their process for adapting the story and their love for Lewis and philosophy towards ministry. So you definitely want to hear more from them than me. So we'll go ahead and jump in. And Nicole and Justin, yeah, can you just tell us a little bit about yourselves and about the Academy of Arts? Well, it's so exciting to be here with you guys yeah, and get to meet and get to talk to guys who really love the books and just love Lewis's whole mission of his writing. Um, yeah. So oh, I'm Nicole Stratton. I'm the artistic director for the Academy of Arts Ministry. And, and I'm, I'm Justin Swain, and I'm the puppet master for the ministry. And I guess to answer your question about what the Academy of Arts is, it's... <laughs> Where to start? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the ministry was established in 1971 by my mm. parents, actually. So we are now coming up on 52 years of ministry, and it's really focusing in on actually Christian communication, communication mm -hmm. that is centered on Christ and teaching people that they are made in the image of God. And because of that are made to be communicators and how to communicate excellently with the, for the cause of Christ. And mm -hmm. I, our motto is making the Bible come alive in minds and hearts. And really, that can be a bit confusing for people. But we did start out doing a lot of um, sacred drama where we're taking the word of God and bringing it to life on stage. Mm -hmm. And as we traveled for several years around the country, people would say, wow, it just makes the Bible come alive. Mm. We've since um, added to that motto by making the Bible come to life in minds and hearts, because really everything that we do on stage, no matter what it is, whether it's a Lewis book or a biblical production or a historical production, that's the point, is to take the truths of the Word of God and to bring them to life into people's minds and hearts through the way we communicate them on stage. Mm. So that's what we've been doing. We have five facets, so we could talk the entire podcast about <laughs> what the Academy of Arts is. We have a film company. We have a college conservatory. We have touring oh, wow. teams that tour all over the country. And we have the Logos Theater, uh, which is based in Taylor, South Carolina. So that's a very quick overview of our ministry, but we really want to use the communicative arts to reach um, people for Christ. Right, because unfortunately, I think a lot of Christianity, uh, especially from people that aren't in Christian circles, like just mm. outside people looking in, a lot of our stuff can be very cheesy or corny. Mm -hmm. So we really have a strong passion that what we do should be excellent, because as Nicole said, yeah. we serve the creator of all things excellent. Yes. Right. So we should be not just on par, but even above in that respect. So. We really strive for excellence in all that we do. And, and that, that. Is, that is why we have the college. We want to teach it from the from the ground up as far as philosophy, really, as you know, as you guys are, you know, Lewis uh, fans and, you know, you studied his works. It starts with philosophy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then from philosophy, you are working on your craft of writing that philosophy into your script so you can avoid the cheesiness. Mm -hmm. You can actually. Right give out powerful messages, but in a crafted way to where your art is just as excellent. So. I, I have a quick question based on that. Um, how would you guys delineate kind of cheesiness from 
maybe just innocence. Um, because I feel like sometimes I think like I'll watch a, like, I feel like there's a difference between watching a Hallmark movie where it's formulaic and nothing actually bad ever goes up wrong. And the only conflict they can ever really think of is misunderstandings. Um, <laughs> and you know, like that's cheesy, but then yeah. I feel like sometimes it's like, I'll watch a, a piece of content or read something and people will have called it cheesy. And I'm like, no, it's just, it's innocent. It's, um, it's not vulgar. It's not like darker than it needs to be. It's like, I feel like sometimes that, that can be synonymous with cheesy. Um, so and how I, would walk yeah, that line? That's a great question. I feel like that really, I think what's happening right now though, in the Christian movement where we would say it's kind of falling into the same pattern of things like Hallmark and you really can only give out what you've put in. Mm. And so if we as Christians have been taking in entertainment that is being put out for in a formulaic way or put out in a um, way of like, instead of it being, I think there's beauty to simplicity. There's beauty to um, a, a message being put out purely. I would think when you come to see the horseness boy, which I know you, you gentlemen are, um, right. <laughs> or when you come to see the horseness boy, it's going to be pure. It's going yeah. to be wholesome. However, the depth of the emotions, the reality mm. of like, mm. let's say King Loon losing his sons, you're not going to mm. get that in some kind of like, Oh no, my sons are gone. It's going to be very raw and visceral yeah. in the way he responds. Um, and so though it's done purely, it's done deeply. And yeah. I think that would be the, the difference. What I'm finding is it's not really that we don't have the heart to do it well and we don't have the passion to do it well. A lot of times our writing is not, it does not have a lot of nuance. It doesn't have a lot of subtext. Yeah. It's kind of very straightforward. We say what we mean instead of giving yourself a line where you're saying a line, but you mean something else. As right. Christians, because of our honesty, sometimes yeah, we struggle yeah. Yeah, to write with subtext. And mm. I think that's a craft that has to be crafted to know what you mean, but then to be able to, to say it in such a way that it's crafted rather than broadcasted. So... Mm. I think for us, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to not only have our message be pure. And that's why some people, if you know this, they, they love the purity of the message, but they want it all to be broadcasted rather than sometimes having a mm. covert message. Yeah. Can, that's where Lewis is phenomenal. Yes, yes. I mean, mm -hmm. some people right. would say to us, don't do the Lewis books because they don't have enough of an overt message. But man, the messages are so powerful and strong. But sometimes you need to draw somebody in yes, rather than yeah. just beat them over the head. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, oh, go ahead, Thornton. I would say I just I think that's an incredible and a great distinction, Nicole. Yeah, the 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 depthness of of the emotions versus yeah, um, I just yeah, uh, just the depthness surface. of it, and then yeah, yeah, the surface, and then yeah, just yeah, make sure you're there's subtext uh, compared to broadcasting. I think that's a great way to think about it. And it's and, so hard. And it, I will say this, and, you know, I guess in defense of the Christian film yeah. movement or the Christian stage movement, they they struggle with sometimes they're giving such complex problems and then, boom, at the end, a solution comes and everybody's fixed. Yeah. And so with the writing, that's what I love about Lewis. I mean, he doesn't mess around. He tells you there are real problems, but then he takes the time to go through those problems and give you a real arc to the solution. Right. Mm. And I just love that about 
it, it's fun to work with classics like this because they are so they're, they're classics for a reason. They've written, they've been written so well that the arc is believable. The characters are multi, you know, dimensional. And um, so it makes it enjoyable to produce. <laughs> yeah. I find it interesting because a lot of what you're talking about, like Jesus did himself. Which yes, is, absolutely. You know, it's like, I think what you're saying is why Jesus gave parables and not sermons yes, or, yes. or at least he gave one big sermon and then uh, most, mostly parables after that. Cause you're right. Like mm -hmm. it's one thing to say, Hey, you should, you know, or that God loves you. He will forgive you. And he's waiting on you to return. And it's another thing to tell the, the prodigal son. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. And that's uh, a lot of what our ministry stems from. Our founder uh, used to have a hard time with some churches wondering, like, why you're so gifted in so many ways? Why aren't you just preaching? Why are you doing these dramas? Why are you using drama? Mm. And some people wouldn't even see, like, as it being a worthy medium for presenting truth. Whereas we believe that when we're doing dramas, we're just as much preaching because preaching yeah. is proclaiming truth. And that's what I love about Jesus and him telling his parables, because back to what Nicole was saying, it's not always overt. And you know, to bring it into my puppetry world, it applies because a lot of times with theatrical puppetry, um, it isn't very overt as well. You're letting the audience's imagination play along with you. Yeah. So, so many of our principles, it ties into every aspect of what we do on the stage from the script through even the practical elements of our productions. But so much of it does stem from those principles and ideas that we've been running our ministry on for the last 50 years. And I feel like what you, the point you guys just brought up of like Christ did this, that's actually what in our college, we bring them down instead of instead of studying the world and how they're doing it. We're studying Christ, how he taught, yeah. how he lived. And then that philosophy then feeds your writing. It feeds your acting. It feeds the directing. Like we don't study Stanislavski, Meisner, anything like that. We're actually mm -hmm. studying Christ yeah. and the way he directed. Yeah. And mm -hmm. when you emulate Christ, it just produces excellence. Yeah. So instead of trying to follow people who tried to figure this craft out, this craft comes from the Lord. Like um, mm -hmm. if you really think about, let's just take the last supper. That is a perfect example of when the, the disciples are arguing, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. The Lord does not give them a, a sermon. He doesn't sit there and give them a lecture. He gets up from the table. He doesn't say a word. He sets the mood. He stands up from the table and walks away. You can imagine now all the disciples become to be quiet. What yeah. is he doing? He then takes off his garment and puts on the garment of a costume of a of a servant. Hmm. It's a costume. He puts it on. He picks up a prop, the basin. He kneels down and he begins to act out the role of a servant. Hmm. He wow. doesn't say a word. Imagine the scene now and the dramatic nature of it. Here is the master communicator. He could have preached a sermon. He could have used current events. He could have used any tool from his tool bag of communication and yet the last message he gives his disciples before he knows he's going to die the most important message he uses the tool of communication through portrayal yeah and yeah, now he, he portrays the servant then he gets up and looks at them and he says know you what i have done unto you mm. and now he applies this portrayal to them i mean Man. you would think now just think about this how much they will never have forgotten that illustration and I like the word portrayal there because I feel like when I hear the word act, I immediately think fake, like Jesus Negative. is acting yes. like a sermon, but like portrayal, it, it's like, hey, Jesus is obviously he's king, he's Lord, he's God. And he came down in, 
and and now in this moment he's putting on a costume and he and he's doing this act but it's not fake it's not an act yes it's, right it's not fake it's real but it's also sure. communicative like you were just saying yes because he isn't a servant he wouldn't have like been down right. doing people's feet like that like a servant in the house but he is a servant yeah and he's a mm. servant to all and he portrays the attributes and the character and then man i mean I just love that. And so for us, it's so important that we keep our priority, not falling in love with the gift, but falling in love with the giver mm -hmm. of the gift. Yeah, that's so good. And it's part of him. It's his nature. He is communicative. So yeah. It's... Yeah. we're made in his image. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And so we're pretty yeah, on fire me... to help people see that because it's not just, we're not theater people. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, that's what's hard for us. We don't really fit in anywhere. We, as, mm -hmm. as far as we want to disciple through mm -hmm. the attribute of Christ, which is communication. Yeah, I mean, he good. is the Logos. He is the word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you learn this with him in the center, it builds you up into more of his image. It makes you see him in this incredible light. And we're, we're excited for Christians to see that every single person on this earth is made to do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, it's exciting. And that's basically what our ministry is, is here to do. That's awesome. I know you gave me goosebumps, Nicole, yeah, talking about all that. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, th uh, that's fantastic. And, and it's funny, you were mentioning uh, how some people have said don't do Lewis because his message is too, I guess, um, uh, I guess, it's subtle, disguised. hidden, subtle, yeah. yeah. Which I guess from from our studies and stuff, it's it's funny because a lot of people have like criticized Lewis for, especially in the line which in the wardrobe for like I just it, it seems like he's like screaming from the top of his lungs what what <laughs> the message is. Right. So right. yeah, it's funny that you all you all got the the opposite. Uh, um, I know, and it, it makes me sad. And when I've talked to some of those people who are believers, I'm like, well, for a believer, the messages are blaring i mean they right. are so powerful in the books that it makes me want to cry sometimes when we're working on the plays mm. but um i guess what they're thinking is the only way you could be effective is if you're literally saying john three sixteen, and every time you put mm. something together and i right. i have absolutely we have productions we have films where that is very much the case mm -hmm. but this here is such an amazing tool it's something that can draw in people and I've noticed when we do these productions, one thing that people who don't know the Lord come to see it, they are drawn in by the beauty of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they are going, what is this? Tell me more about this. Tell me about, and they're, it's what Lewis wanted to do was to use Narnia for a while to make them get to know Aslan to an extent so that they are drawn to know him more in their own world. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what Narnia does. It draws people in to want to know more. And, and obviously for us doing Narnia, it just builds up our faith. We are learning yeah. new lessons. It's just so refreshing to our souls to do the books. Um, mm -hmm. So another point there, a lot of people will come and see a production that has Narnia, Lewis, language in the wardrobe, horse and his boy, whatever plastered on it. And many of those same people would never step foot in a church just because mm -hmm. of stereotypes. We're not even giving it a chance Mm -hmm. Yet because of the art, we are, as Nicole was saying, we're able to draw them in to something that appeals to them. And it appeals yeah. to them because they were also made in the image of God. And it's creative and yep. it's artistic and it's powerful. That's really cool. good. That's well, awesome. so speaking of just Narnia in general, why did you decide the horse and his boy instead of, you know, any of the other C.S. Lewis works? Well, the way that actually happened was <laughs> we, we our theater 
as being a nonprofit, it's a Christian organization. It's not like we are rolling in money and you're trying <laughs> to figure out through the years how to market our theater. Our ministry had been touring for so long. We finally had a facility where we were stationary and just getting to know the, the surrounding areas and getting to people realize that we were there. We've been talking about without a lot of money for marketing, what could we do? What stories could we do that would be according to our mission, not getting us off um, our mission, but would be more, I guess, recognized by people quickly where they knew the stories as far as Narnia, they were aware of it. Yeah. And somebody mentioned Narnia in our artistic meeting. And I about like, oh, I just I had told my husband I would never direct the Narnia books. Um, <laughs> oh, because, really? Because they're so beloved and you don't have CGI on stage. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to mess them up and have people hate us because we destroyed their childhood, you know, <laughs> world that they had grown up imagining. And um, so that actually I had to consider it the main consideration because we didn't have the funds to market as well. So I said, okay, we need to consider this, but I don't want to do it if we can't do Aslan well. Mm. And so mm. we talked and I talked to our, our technical director at the time, Ken Hines, who had a great history in puppetry. And I said, could we do a puppet lion? Is that possible? And would it be something that could have that presence, that you know, aura about it that we feel would be respectful to the character of Aslan? And he, you know, he thought about it for a while and he looked at some things and he said, yes, we can do it. So at that point, by faith, we moved forward with um, an adaptation of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Did mm, that right. first and it went so well that I thought, well, why don't we do the next book, which would be <laughs> Prince Caspian, not realizing, <laughs> not realizing that no one had ever put Caspian on the stage before. Oh, wow. And so I went around looking for a script, couldn't find one, contacted the C.S. Lewis company. They informed me that no script had ever been done. And so I asked, could I try my hand at it? And they said, yes, you know, and you'd have to have it vetted through them. So I worked on a script and submitted it to them, ended up meeting through that process, Douglas Gresham, who's the stepson of C.S. Lewis. Mm. And mm. he, and in fact, the Horse and His Boy book is dedicated to him by Lewis. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And so he vetted my script for Caspian and we had such a good time with me talking with him. He, I could tell he kind of was interested because it was a world premiere. No one had ever done Caspian before. After I did Caspian, I realized why no one had ever done it. <laughs> <laughs> Quite difficult insanity to put on stage. Um, and so then I, I could kind of feel that he was interested in coming. So I asked my husband and Noah said, well, you could just ask him. And all he could say is no. So I asked him, would you like to come to the premiere? He said, yes. He flew over from the island of Malta and he promoted it for a week on, on television and radio and different things. And it was such a great time meeting him. Then we had made a horse for Caspian, for Caspian to ride away from the castle. And, you know, we made Destrier and, once we made Destrier, I said, well, if we've made a horse and that horse went so well, why don't we do the horse and his boy next since we know we can make horses? Mm -hmm. And um, so that's how horse and his boy happened. And so we again, we did the North American premiere because there had been one other place in um, Manila that had done a smaller version of the horse and his boy. And I read their script. I thought maybe I could use their script, but we wanted to do more of a robust um, adaptation. Mm -hmm. So I, again, did the script and, and vetted it through uh, Mr. Gresham. And then we did the North American premiere of The Horse and His Boy. Wow. So that's how that happened. That is incredible. <laughs> it's wow. just been the Lord kind of taking us yeah. one step at a time. I'm glad he hasn't 
he didn't tell us everything that was going to be coming. Right. He kind of let us take it one step at a time. And so it was, it was wonderful. The one thing we were also able to do, we got nominated to represent the United States in Edinburgh, Scotland mm. for the Fringe Festival. Oh, yep. <laughs> and we thought, well, if we're going to raise that much money to go to Scotland, we don't want to be ignored. So we shipped Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. We did the European script over there and we shipped our lion and everything by boat. And we performed the horse and his boy over there in the Churchill Theatre oh, in man. the Fringe Festival. And that was yeah. quite the experience. And the Fringe Festival is it's one of the largest fine arts festivals in the world. And I forget mm. the exact numbers. I think it's the... The town of Edinburgh goes from like 500,000 to like 1,500,000 just during Ooh. this time. And there's a royal mile that leads up to the castle there in Edinburgh. And we took our lion puppet walking up that mile. So the mile for the guys <laughs> that had to wear it on their backs. But it was wow. just so incredible to see for us knowing what Aslan represents, seeing him walking up that street. And there's mm -hmm. little street performers and people and flyers everywhere trying to get your attention. Come see our show. Come see us. Mm -hmm. And as Asim would walk up, like the street would just part. People would look and then everybody would just flock to him and kids, <laughs> adults, policemen. Like mm -hmm. it just disarms people and they just get so drawn in by the beauty of it. And it was so neat to see, you know, a puppet portrayal of Christ in that way, being that beacon, being lifted up and bringing all men unto himself. Yeah. Mm. Wow, and that's it, incredible. Isn't it just beautiful how, like, God doesn't tell you all those different steps because he's, like, inviting you into the story he's creating around <laughs> you, you know? That is a great way to say it, yes. It, it's just, ah, man, I and love it. And he meets you through that because the Lewis books, especially Prince Caspi and the Horse and His Boy, they, they haven't been put on stage, you know, for a reason. And mm. it's it was very, so many different obstacles that we faced trying to mount that you've got the water god that explodes through the bridge and if you're going to do prince caspian we've performed that 90 times now oh, wow. so we've had that bridge explode put back together 90 <laughs> different times you know and mm -hmm. you have trees that come to life and fight in the battle you had reaper cheap's tail has to reappear you know obviously the horse and his boy you've you've got the horses and then you also have you know rabidash has to turn into a donkey mm -hmm. there's so many different effects that have to happen on stage that the Lord really just helped us lean on him. And we did not have money to throw at the problems. We just mm -hmm. were able to come together as an artistic team and think outside the box and come up with solutions that just really the Lord walked us through that. So I'm so glad that he did it that way. Mm -hmm. It made us understand each other as a team, lean on each other, learn the different strengths that we had. My dad was actually did gospel magic his whole life. And he helped us when we did Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe. He literally designed the tricks of disappearing Aslan, bringing the the, oh, um, wow. the cup that the White Witch brings out and the Turkish delight. He, he designed all those tricks. And from working with him, we also learned other sleight of hand things that we use throughout the shows. There's a lot of sleight of hand that we're using to create the, that magic on stage. Mm. So it's just neat to see how the Lord equips you and gives you experiences that you didn't know why he was giving that experience. And then you pull from that when you come to put a story like this on stage. Yeah. And if I could branch from that, one of my favorite moments, because not only do I get the privilege of designing and training with puppets, but I also oftentimes am called on to perform with them. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my favorite moments ever from being in this ministry was, I, I won't give away too much. All of us are sworn to secrecy, 
but um, mm-hmm. the stone table scene, probably one of the pinnacle moments in all of Narnia mm-hmm. and in Christianity too. Oh yeah. Um, Dr. Chavers really did that justice with the trick. He came up in Nicole's directing and it is a powerful moment mm-hmm. where what the audience sees is Aslan, the puppet walking up onto the stone table center stage and then the earthquake takes place. There's sound effects, there's lighting, there's smoke and fog and flashing lights for a few seconds. And then the self-same puppet the audience just saw laying down in about three seconds has appeared in the back of the auditorium and is roaring and running down the aisle. And I got the privilege for our second and third time performing that in our theater to run the head of Aslan. And the moment right before the lights all swoop to the back of the auditorium and the audience sees the resurrected lion Mm. people would just be so on the edge of their seats and looking and oh and they're all talking and they're all churning and i'd be there watching and they don't know that we're sneaking up behind them getting ready to pull <laughs> off the effect and then in the moment when it would all hit with the lighting with the sound with the the core like everything coming together people mm. would turn and see and it would just either be a hush or a gasp or just busting into applause but every single time people's reactions i was just a few feet away from them and i could see everything from people instantly just turning into tears covering their mouths mm. like sitting down like just the power of that moment, it made the gospel and the resurrection come alive every night for so many people. Wow. And it was just amazing to be able to see that, you know, I can, you know, preach and share the word and do whatever God needs to be ready to give an answer for the hope. But in yeah. that moment to see how even like the practical craft and ability I have of making and performing with puppets can so deeply impact people's lives that it could change them for eternity. And just that's mm. probably one of my favorite moments ever with being with this ministry. Wow. I, I would say, Justin, for Horseman's Boy, a kind of equal moment is when Aslan appears to Shasta. Shasta has been running and running, trying to get to King Loon. He's mm-hmm. absolutely exhausted. He's at the end of his rope. He's he and he feels like he is the most unfortunate boy in mm-hmm. the whole world. And he is he's pretty depressed yeah. and broken. And Aslan appears to him. And that conversation between Aslan and Shasta is phenomenal. And in the horse mm-hmm. and his boy, it's very cinematic the way we are going to accomplish this scene. And we use uh, body doubles for Shasta and Erebus in this section because as Aslan is saying, I was the lion who um, gave you the strength of fear for the last battle. I was the cat who comforted you in the tombs. I was the lion. And when he's saying all this, we're actually flashing back and showing you those scenes again. Oh, wow. And it's just building and building and the music is building. And then finally Shasta turns and he looks and he sees this, you know, gorgeous, powerful lion standing there. And then he says, and I was the lion who pushed the boat, you know, mm. you were a child, yeah. you know, and he mm-hmm. says that gorgeous thing. And then there's this moment between him and Shasta. And then he says, why then, then you were the one who wounded Erebus, but why? And he says, child, I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell mm. no one any story, but their own. Mm. And then That's at one that of my point, favorite moments in the book. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just oh. phenomenal. And then, mm. and, and, and I'm praying that people walk away and realize God is telling them their story and he is working. And even through the hardships of our lives and things that go wrong and the things that we're like, wow, if only that hadn't happened, but every moment the Lord is there and he's taking those things and turning them for our good. And, you know, that's the same with Shasta. He thinks all these unfortunate things have happened to him, but really it was the Lord there at every point. Wow. So so I I think you've you've kind of answered this uh, question already uh, a little bit, but I'll just give you another opportunity to maybe give some more stories or details. But with the horse and the boy, what was 
the most difficult part to adapt? I would say the as far as script wise is really number one. If you look at the book itself and you're going through the book, there's a lot of stories that are told, backstories. Um, mm. You've got Corin's backstory. You've got Erebus' backstory. Obviously, Shasta. There's a lot of, hey, this is what happened here. And you're kind of flashing back and learning more about their lives. If you do it just straight as if the book is as the book is written, you're going to have a lot of, I, be- I guess, standing there having long conversations. And mm. for yep. people's attention span, they cannot yeah. really stand a lot of that. So... Yeah. The approach I've taken, each Lewis book has its own style. Caspian is all about being lost and being able to have faith to follow when you can't see. So there's a lot of different techniques that are happening through that. It's also layering time in Caspian. So while the duel is mm-hmm. happening, you're at the feast uh, with Azen. You're at it. There are a couple of things that are happening at the same time. So when you see the staging of Caspian, it has this really cool style that kind of emerged because of the book. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Horseman's Boy. Um, Lewis is telling us all the time that the Clormans are amazing storytellers. So he, so really what I'm doing is while Erebus is telling her story, the story comes to life around her and Mm -hmm. she's walking in and out of her story speaking, but the story comes to life at different all the time. So you're experiencing the story while hearing the story, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. So she's not just in the desert on the horses, then walking on the horses talking. You're literally seeing it all around her and then the same thing several times when it's a kind of a slapstick humor that we're using with Corin when he comes in and starts telling where he's been to Shasta Mm -hmm. uh, while he's telling his story it's happening to him so (laughs) he's going then they lock me up somewhere and they're picking him up and walking him across (laughs) the stage and you're using a lot of where it also it was a functional decision for me as well and adapting it so I could tell the story while seeing the story and not have to um, waste any time mm-hmm. but keep the audience's oh. attention and keep it moving I mean this play moves yeah. it is actually uh, I believe almost a 1500 words longer than Prince Caspian and yet it's 30 mm. minutes shorter oh, oh wow, wow. Yeah. so it yeah. it moves I mean you're just flying Efficient. through this production and it and I think in the first couple of scenes there's at least you know 25 transitions that are just boom happening right in front of you so i think a challenge we have for the museum though and i know Mm. you're going to talk about us going to the museum but in our theater we have a revolving uh floor Mm. so we have a turntable that can make i mean when you're traveling and the horses are running the floor the floor is actually revolving underneath them oh Mm mm-hmm and at the, the museum, they do not have a turntable at this point. Mm. So we've had to actually almost redesign the whole show mm. to still give you a semblance, like a, the semblance of a feeling of running, move, movement, mm. motion without the floor revolving. So that's been an interesting challenge to do. Oh, it sounds yeah. like this play has some horsepower to it, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. We said nothing cheesy. We said nothing cheesy. <laughs> It will rely on the puppets a lot more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the puppets are going to have to do a lot more physicality of normally mm. while the puppets are running, the floor turns them different directions. Mm-hmm. So mm. they'll have to run and turn themselves different directions. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the puppets a little bit, Justin, and just sort of what inspired you, obviously the books, but like what sort of images, I guess, inspired you to create the the puppets and, and 
the because um, I when I saw them at the Museum of the Bible, I was amazed by by their size mm-hmm. and and how detailed they were for for their size. And so, just wanted to hear a little bit about your I guess their their creation and then sort of your uh, approach to bringing them uh, to life. Yeah, uh, it's really a team effort. A lot of pieces coming together. And it's not a cop-out, but honestly, real horses, right? Again, we're mm-hmm. talking about how so many times with our Makes philosophy, sense. it's yeah. let's go back to the source. Mm-hmm. Um, so who created horses, right? It's God did. So let's go look mm-hmm. at horses. And sometimes that's videos. Other times we take opportunities to take our team to um, actually experience, you know, horseback riding or even have a horse mm-hmm. trainer come and bring horses. So we've had a lot of different interactions that way. And then um, I'd say a lot of it really just comes from studying organic movement and the more you get into this kind of world, the better you can get at it. But just studying how do things move, what makes them work, what are the most mm-hmm. important things that people need for it to tell them, oh, that's a horse. Do you need yeah. like this in film? You're going to get every little nuance from eye blinkings and, you know, wet stuff coming out of their nose and hooves and dirt. Right. And but you don't need all that for stage, for theater. Mm-hmm. You just need to give them enough. And you have to pick because of time, for money, for weight. Mm-hmm. The more tricks you add, the heavier things are going to get. Yeah. Um, you really got to pick your battles and know what's the most important thing that's going to communicate horse to the audience. So an example for ours is ears. Um, of course, mm-hmm. a horse, mm-hmm. a living creature, anything can move at a real horse. You know, you got mouth and nose and eye blinking, mm-hmm. but you're not really going to notice eyes blinking, doing so much for the emotion of the character. But you look mm-hmm. at a horse in nature and so much of their emotional indicator comes from their ears. It's been mm-hmm. said that horses don't so much look with their eyes as they do with their ears. If you watch where a horse's ears are pointing, that's where their attention is going. Huh. Their ears can show them if they're relaxed, if they're agitated, if they're afraid, all those different things. So it's just stuff like that where we just analyze the real thing and see what jumps out to us as the most important things that we really need to highlight here. Does his mouth need to move even if he's talking? Can he, can he deliver lines effectively and powerfully to an audience without his mouth moving? A lot of different things like that. We'll just workshop and practice, but... Yeah, I'd say mainly we just we look at the real deal. And he's, I mean, Justin, too, like what's amazing about the guys is they've had to build the machines that actually build the parts as well. So oh. you can't just go to Lowe's and buy parts for horses. So you have to, <laughs> they've had to build, yeah. they build the machines. So the heads are carved out of foam or I think the horse heads are carved out of EVA foam. Oh, well, there is a lot of different techniques coming together and we're continuing to get better every time we work on a set of puppets. But yeah, for the horse heads, um, the heads, we actually carve them out of styrofoam and Mm. we're talking just like tractor supply free foam that they ship their stuff with and Mm. throw away. So we just take the blocks and then carve out our heads. And then from there, as Nicole was referencing, we actually do a technique called vacuum forming which is not mm-hmm. very common apart from like high industrial things and in factories of $100,000 equipment and it's huge. So you have to make it yourself. Basically, it's a glorified air hockey table, but instead of blowing mm-hmm. it, you suck it down and we'll heat up oh. plastic and put our carved heads underneath and suck the plastic around it. And that'll give us the shape there, which is way, way lighter. It's hollow so we can add things inside of it for controls and stuff. Um, it's actually wow. the same technique that they use for making stormtrooper armor for all the stars. Oh, really? Out there, so. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing because the guys are now uh, designing the parts and the different things in the computer and 3D printing pieces out. So we're actually working on puppets right now, yes, for our shows, but also for rentals because so many <laughs> people do Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and they don't have a lion. 
and we don't mm. want to rent out our original lion that we use for all of our shows, but we're, we're making smaller lions that could be used by, you know, high school students mm-hmm. and, and different things. So, but the guys have done fantastic. They not only make the puppets for my practicing for going to the museum, we've built a model of their stage that's to scale. And then the guys have printed out all of my set pieces in miniature form to scale to that mm. model. And so I've been practicing the scene changes and the setups in in miniature form to prepare for rehearsals. Wow, that's incredible. So, so there's there's a lot that goes into yeah. it. It's a big team yeah. effort to try to make sure you're prepared. A lot of times you I won't have all the scenery right there for me to go into a space and just work with the scenery, but having that model and being able to work out how we're going to do this without a turntable, the different, you know, space limitations and figuring all those things out before you get in with your cast. Super helpful. Um so one question I did have for y'all is, so obviously you have your facility that y'all, you know, kind of live at and, and work at. Um, and then obviously you're at the Museum of the Bible, but are there any other like uh, locations that you would like to to dip your toe into or start, you know, having performances at? Or are you right now like, hey, two is enough? <laughs> no, we're, we're really... Um we are praying a lot about the Narnia productions going on tour. They do need to tour. Like this is the beginning of, I believe that where Mm. the museum of the Bible found out about what we were doing, flew down their executives and to first see our musical on the Scarlet Pimpernel, we had done our own original musical of that. Mm. And they flew down to see kind of the quality that we produced. We're really excited about it and then said, we want to hire you guys to come up and to do a production, not knowing what production yet. Then they flew down again and uh, Steve Green, who has helped to build the museum, he uh, obviously he owns Hobby Lobby and then Harry Hardgrave and Jerry Pattengale, all the guys, this is incredible men who have had the vision for this museum and have really been the men behind making this happen. They all came down to see the horse and his boy in the summer. Mm. And from there, we talked about doing The Horse and His Boy, though there's space, it's a beautiful theater, the World Stage Theater, it, though, is very limited in its backstage capacity. Mm. But we felt like our team was up for the challenge to kind of redesign the show to fit into that space, (laughs) because Mm. they're really trying to grow the reputation of their theater and to really be able to help bring in more people consistently into the museum. And the theater is part of that. And with the Narnia books being so um, well-known, it was kind of like we needed to start with something that had a lot more name recognition and then eventually mm-hmm. be able to move other shows in. So I feel like what we've had to do to make the horse and his boy fit at the museum really sets it up for a tour across the country. Mm. So right now we're looking at a theater in Branson, Missouri and other theaters that could potentially take it. We are really hoping there can be like Branson, Missouri, they've got a theater there. It's 2000 seat auditorium and it's run oh, yeah. by Christians, um, the Freedom Theater. And we feel like with Christians, uh, different ones like that, even if it was four or five spots around the country, Narnia needs to be touring like anything else. I mean, it is the yeah. books mm-hmm. are so excellent yeah. and the production value is so powerful. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a Christian production company with a Christian cast doing something around the country that would get you know, national recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause really right now Disney owns Broadway. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they own the touring companies. So mm-hmm. 
Um, we don't like to see what's going on in our country and in the entertainment world, but can Christians rise up and say, hey, we don't like it, but we don't want to curse the darkness. We want to light a candle. Let's get behind mm. production companies. Right now, who else has the money but Broadway to tour? Um, yeah. So if Christians really want to see that change, they can do really what the museum's doing, which is they're putting their money where their mouth is. They say they mm-hmm. want to make a difference in this country for good. They're they're doing it by hiring in a Christian company to come up there with a, you know, full cast and all the stuff yeah. that we've had to bring up. They're making it happen. So it does feel neat to see how the Lord's timing is bringing so many things together. I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of different places that I've known as separate organizations and entities are all starting to unite yes. under the banner of Christ and truth. Yeah. And just think even things like um, how the chosen is like shattering records for Christians yep. you know, funding and backing and yeah. seeing how the, this opportunity for touring is coming. It's just really neat to see where God's going to be taking this. Cause I really think this is the beginning of something big. Cause there was a, uh, like a crowdfunded uh, animated movie that they were going to make. Right. Um, are you talking about the David movie, Andrew? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Angel yeah. Studios. Yeah. Yep. And it would be amazing. I mean, right now we have our own film company. We need other Christian studios that are putting out, you know, incredible content. Like, and yeah. I feel like that's really another thing that is going to happen through the museum and other contacts that are happening because the museum has a heart to not just do the museum. They want to help fund other things like this, like, you know, mm. production companies like this and also film companies like, what we're doing really the only thing for us holding us back from doing more would be funding. And Mm -hmm. it's difficult in, in the Christian circles, we know it costs money, but when it comes to it, it's almost like we're, it's just difficult. So it's exciting to see other projects that are being funded, crowdfunded and people saying, look, we really want to see excellent content. We don't want to see this stuff anymore. I mean, I'm just, I have a 12 year old son and it's so hard. You you're trying to find things to watch And to mm. do together and yeah. to not yeah. have, you know, the different, I guess, agendas being shoved yeah. down our throats. Sure. So. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I guess in that vein, what, are there any other Lewis works uh, that you feel would translate well to uh, the stage? We, we, we do. We've got <laughs> yeah. one. Well, you yeah, guys get it, to it, kind it, of get the news out there. But yeah. we right now are getting we are in pre-production for another book and mm. um it is the silver chair. So mm. we are working pretty hard on that. And um, mm-hmm. so it, it again is going to be well nigh impossible, but further up and further in. <laughs> Every yeah. but we would like to end up going through the rest of the books. Unfortunately, Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, what you have to do to do that one, it we don't want to do that one again until we're able to do our own adaptation of it. Yeah. It was the first book that we did, but we've gone so far after that with doing our own adaptations that we need to do our own adaptation of this, of the book. And right now that's not possible. So the Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe and Magician's Nephew are both kind of locked up in rights. um, And you, you can do them. You just have to do a script that is a little bit shorter. It's It's not as meant for um, a community theater. It's been written for, Mm-hmm. high school community theater kind of a thing whereas right. we would like to do if we're going to do it again we'd like to do it at the level that we've done the other books now mm-hmm. so, yeah. but we will go through the silver chair and i mean if i could if i had my druthers i'd skip right to the last yeah. battle but oh, come on now <laughs> <laughs> that one is amazing but i'm not sure we have um prayers and plans towards building a c.s lewis theater 
Hmm. And we've got the wow. plans for it and everything. It would be a theater dedicated to doing the Lewis works. Uh, our theater right now, it's beautiful 300 seat auditorium proscenium arch. It's mm-hmm. a great space, but in order to do the rest of the books, you need a space that's specifically designed for the Narnia yeah. books. Right. Um, so right now our, our goal is to, you know, be moving towards that in the future. We really feel like that needs to happen. And we could, we could be filling the Narnia productions year round with tour groups and so mm-hmm. many things. And I don't know if you're familiar, there's in, in Pennsylvania, you have sight and sound, which is a large mm-hmm. theater that's right, it's yeah. running year round. And it would be a theater like designed to treat the books with what they need to be able to be done yeah. well. And, and then we would be able to just run that right much like the model up there in in pennsylvania where the tour buses are coming through yeah um wow now would you stick with just narnia or would you branch out to like the space trilogy and maybe some of uh lewis's i guess less mainstream works it would we've talked through some of those things and i i feel like it would depend on um how well you could sell it with it the problem is once you get a big book like that I mean, like, let's say Silver Chair, yeah. that'll be a world premiere. And we could mm-hmm. run that for a year straight and it would be right. sold out. So at the end of the day, it's more about you have to have one that's running that could keep the doors open. Sure. And sure. maybe as you have a break in between, you could do something like um, you could do something like, oh, where did student do a screw tape letter cutting. Yeah, you could do something like oh, that. That's super cool. But there's so many different ones that you could actually do. We've had a man come in and, and do a really great one-man show on, like, As Lewis. and yeah. Oh, yeah, Max like uh, McMillan and, and yeah, the, the Most Reluctant Convert. Yes, and you've yeah. um, we've had him and then David Payne come in and do one on Lewis. So if, I thought if you were transitioning from one show to the next, kind of loading in or out, you could do something like that. And I think it would be neat for people – that would be the only theater like that in the country. Yeah. I mean, in, yeah. or in the world that we know of. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, one thing that we've discovered with our podcast is that there are, there's no shortage of Lewis works. And because I think there's like 30 or something published works of his. And then oh, you yes. have a lot of his essays and, uh, and, and then you have a lot of his academic stuff. And it's just. Uh, Until we yeah. have faces, the one he did with Gresham. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's so there's so many tons different. of content, so much content. Mm-hmm. It's interesting just kind of how many people seem to be unlocking this treasure trove of stories and lessons and thought. Mm. Um, and it, it really does feel like that, especially as we've been doing this podcast, like, like you just unlocking all the different um, just gifts that that c.s lewis kind of left like breadcrumbs Mm. yeah yeah um it's so good it is so true i think what's neat for us is there's been a lot of people who maybe want to work on the scripts but for us what's nice is we can do our own scripts and then produce them ourselves which yeah i think some people can write a script and they try to find someone to put it together but the amount of how the lord has kind of brought our whole ministry together built us into a group that could not only write them but produce them has been a real blessing and then now for silver chair we'll be writing all our own original music for the show and so that will be oh really yeah Yeah. we do we write all of our own original musicals and all the underscoring for our musicals so we said with silver chair we want to have the whole thing be ours to where 
and then we would we go up to Nashville with um, a gentleman, David Ships, and he orchestrates it. And then we go up there and record it. And so oh. then people could buy the soundtracks. And um, there you go. what's nice about Silver Chair, if you remember, is uh, when they're having the big feast, um, they actually somebody gets up at the feast and reenacts the story of Shasta and Erebus yeah. <laughs> at the yeah, feast. Exactly, so it kind of will yeah. tie in. Cameos. Yeah, there you go. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Puddle Glum uh, finally portrayed. Oh, uh, I yeah, thought, I no thought we would see it in film, but yeah, that's good. But Well, cool. I certainly want to respect y'all's time as yeah, we sort of uh, wind down here. But but listeners, uh, yeah, as they mentioned, the, the horse and his boy will be playing at the Museum of the Bible. January twentieth to what? When was it in March? March fourth. Mm-hmm. March fourth. Cool. So in our show notes, we'll have links to where you can uh, get tickets and, and see the schedule, as well as to the uh, the Academy of Arts and the Logos Theater website, so you can explore more of their their works and stuff. And I know, uh, yeah, the Scarlet Pimpernel is is one of my favorite novels as well. And oh, so nice. I, when I saw that, I was <laughs> I was. Uh, yeah, wanting to come down there again to see that. So at, at some point, I'll I'll uh, make it down there to Greenville and yes. And, uh, well, hopefully, it we'll be, hopefully we'll be coming up to the museum a lot more often. So maybe we can just keep bringing yeah. you the shows there. Fantastic! Yeah. And oh yeah, yeah. I appreciate all the hot hot news and the hot off the press uh, stuff. I know, right? Uh, for uh, for our <laughs> listeners, and yeah, we'll uh, I just continue to just stay in touch and and let everyone know uh, the updates that y'all are uh, willing to share. Sounds great. And if people want to come, they can come and there's a VIP experience on the opening Mm. weekend. If they buy their tickets for opening weekend, they can upgrade them to a VIP experience where we're bringing up. It's a long story, but we are (laughs) the largest holders of Narnia movie memorabilia in the world. Oh, Oh, really? So we are bringing up, yeah, we're bringing up (laughs) a bunch of uh, hero stuff that they actually used in the films. The White Witch's dress, Caspian's armor, the horn, the swords, the wand, Man, a ton of stuff. And then there'll be costumed people. So basically we're bringing up Narnia to the museum and (laughs) we're taking over. If people want to experience Narnia before the show it's a really cool VIP experience that will be happening only in the opening weekend so that's so cool hope you two can come that'll be great I hope so I hope so too and yeah I hope if if there's any uh Netflix uh producers I hope they're they're listening to this because I know there's rumors about them doing a Narnia so I hope they can take some uh notes from from y'all's approach and and what y'all are doing yeah if they're listening we would love to be in on the script writing (laughs) i think that's that's our target demographic is ceos (laughs) and executives (laughs) that's great yeah well thank y'all so much for having us on oh yeah thank you well listener thank you for joining us on this light of our journey it was i don't know about you all but it was certainly a huge treat for us to listen to nicole and justin and and just hear their passion and excitement and just their approach to not only the horse and his boy, but to their ministry. And it was, it was very edifying for us. Oh yeah. And um, I just want to encourage you that if, if you know, you know Christ and you call him Lord, uh, be praying for them in their ministry um, because that's, you know, that is exactly what, what they're doing. Um, and, you know, I'd encourage all of you, whether you know Jesus or not to, to, if you can go see the shows, um, I know Thornton and I intend to, um, but this is this is something that really you know makes me excited. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. 
And if you all want to connect with us, we are on Twitter at Lewis, and you can email us at Lewis at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll, uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye.